The 2023 season is finally, finally about to begin. We finally get to stop talking about football and watch some football, but we've still got three days, and with that in mind, Nick and I are going to jump into the tape and break down this Bears-Packers matchup for you coming up on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Us, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, the editor-in-chief of Bears blog, alongside my co-host, Nick Whalen of Football Guys. Nick, it is a wonderful Wednesday evening as we record this. The Bears are finally about to start their football season, thank God, against <laughs> who else but Green Bay. How are you feeling about it? Top down. Uh so, I mean, there's, we'll talk about, there's some news that broke that, that helps the bears odds, but there's, there's nothing. I know the start of the football season gets everyone excited, but there's nothing like bears and Packers week. So honestly, this is the most, I would say, I want to say I'm happy, but like it's Packers week. So I'm nervous. So like my stomach's yes. just been like this all week and I just want the game to be here. I just if, want to see it. If you follow me on Twitter, you've heard me say these before, but the Bears have two concurrent losing streaks against the Packers running right now. In their last eight games, they are 0-8. In their last eight games early season, that's September in this case, they are 0-8. In their last 26 games, which by the way, there have been 26 games since the Bears last swept the Packers, they are 3-23, and Nick. So season splits or season sweeps in Green Bay's case since then. I... Love Chicago's enthusiasm about Packers week. I stopped being able to enjoy it about three years ago because we took so many losses that at this point, if you dressed a high school football team and trotted them out as the Green Bay Packers, I would be trying to figure out how we were going to lose just so that I could prepare myself. And the funny part is, Nick, none of those games have any bearing on this game. Like, no. those are almost literally all Aaron Rodgers games. And they're Mitch Trubisky games, they're Jay Cutler games, they're Matt Barkley games, they're Josh McCown games. Like, they're, they're completely different teams with completely different players, and these Bears aren't those Bears. At least we hope so. But from the fans' perspective, Nick, oh my gosh, this game feels like way too much pressure for a standard week one. Like the page is going to turn one way or another. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. It, I mean, and it's, I mean, everyone's barking at each other back and forth bears and Packers. And because I mean, so what you talked about all of the history of the bears losing to the green Bay. And then also, I guess just the bears not being great lately. I mean, that's just PTSD, right? If we're just being honest, yes, like we're just freaking out over it. And then, and then if you compare it to the Packers, Everything's been sunshines and rainbows right outside of the playoffs, but everything's been great. So, so they can't see another side of what football could be like. So it is literally the polar opposites coming together. They think things are going to just going to continue because that's how things work. Why would I think something differently? And then the bears just think everything's going to somehow you're going to snatch somehow defeat from the jaws of victory. And we've done it before. Why yep. wouldn't we do it again? The week 13, 14 game against the Packers was abysmal in that exact same way where it was like the bears went from we're kings of the world we can't do anything wrong on offense fields is thrown for two huge deep shots a bunch of little completions to chase clay but oh now he's out for the game and we fumbled and we didn't convert quite as many points as we could have should have yep. 
and we let Green Bay back into the game, and we lost. <laughs> and I mean, it's been our whole life, and we're going to talk scheme. We're going to talk about the nitty-gritty, and I'm so excited to get into it. But this particular game isn't a game against the Washington Commanders. It's not a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, this is a game where everybody's heart, I would assume, is on their sleeve. It's in Soldier Field, Nick. Mm -hmm. I have to say, starting out, what I assume everybody else is saying. And that is that while it is possible for Justin Fields to play well and the Bears to lose, somehow, I'm sure it is, it does not feel likely for the that the Chicago Bears will lose this game and we will still be confident in Justin Fields. The jury will remain out. The, there's no consensus decision, period, until minimum week six. And that would be six abysmal weeks. Like, Fields right. gets the whole season, Nick. Like, there's there's no point where you and I are going to bang the table for Tyson Bajan or Nathan Peterman. So no. I say this as level-headed as somebody can be. But mm -hmm. after the last two years, after finishing a year where the Bears were the worst team in the league and Justin Fields started 15 of those 17 games, the process looks, I think, pretty good right now. The results have, have to deliver. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah, the, the, the passing yards the completion percentage, the decision-making. And the, the thing I like about Fields is in press conferences, they'll talk about like goals or, hey, are you thinking about that contract extension you're working for? And he comes back with, I want to win. That's yes. what he needs to do. It Honestly, he could, I know, I know I want so many passing yards this year and increase in passing yards. If he runs for 2,000 yards and passes for 1,000 and Chicago wins nine games, I don't know that I would care. I mean, that's, to me, the most important part of this conversation. I think there are a lot of people who are hanging a lot of very extreme statistical measures against him. I want to see improvement, major improvement. I think his legs are still a weapon. I think there are a lot of people that see him taking the step back to like 700 scrambling yards and a step no. up to 3,400 passing yards. To me, a 1,200-yard passing increase sounds like a ton. If we get to 3,100, that is a huge jump. And we already talked about this, so we don't have yep. to stick on this forever. But yep. it's more to say that if his legs, if he becomes the most dangerous backyard player in football, partially because of what he does with his legs, and the passing gets better, better and we still have room to take another step to be clear bears fans i said if he takes a clear step forward but we also realize that there is yet another step to take in 2024 i still consider that a win if the bears achieve some measurable successes that you and i can look at and say most quarterbacks that are successful made the playoffs once within three years seven seed counts all this yep. or just as much as yep. a division championship if you make the playoffs, if you have these seasons, the only reason we talk about it, Nick, is historical precedence helps us understand that our eyes aren't lying to us. Because I think that's the hardest part. Right. His talent is so gaudy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I mean there, it reaches a point where you don't want to see potential. You don't want to see potential anymore. You want to see results, and it's really there. And, I mean, you said seven seed in the playoffs, and – the good news is we're in the NFC and it's pretty easy, but I, I, I have one, I have one outside the box thought that we haven't seen yet or okay. not much in Chicago that I think could happen this year because there's this something I thought there's going to be a rule change and there wasn't the, the, the Philly Jalen hurts 
you know, the the sneak the push, rugby thing, right? rugby scrum, whatever you want to call it. Chicago has to do that this year, right? Like, like, how do you not do that with arguably the best rushing quarterback in the NFL who's strong? He's big. You can just push him on every fourth and third and short and convert. I mean, am I crazy there, Robert? I don't think you're crazy. But, I mean, Luke Getzey got so creative on some of these third and fourth downs, whether it was Komet coming in to take a true quarterback sneak or Komet coming in to pitch it out to fields for an explosive run. I mean, what on earth? Like. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bears have some stuff up their sleeves. They tried a wide receiver reverse pass twice. Both times the route happened to get co- uh, like covered up and the receiver ended up. It was first Mooney and then it was Equinamia St. Brown. They had to pull the ball down and just run it for what they could. But it's more to say that Getze isn't afraid to get outside the box. So it wouldn't surprise me, like you're saying, if kind of everybody is waiting to use the rugby play. It was too successful. Right. How would right. you not use it? Right? Yep. I mean, I mean, it was the most efficient play in the NFL last year. And and especially if you think of goal line, you think of you need to get that touchdown. I mean, because I think it was in that Miami game, the Bears got stuffed on the one and didn't convert a fourth down and we're going the other way. Like there's so many games where that could change things. Huge. And if they didn't change the rule and you got fields, you might as well do it. The only concern is he could get hurt. And I know Kansas City had that a few years ago. If you remember with Mahomes had that knee that happened. Oh, yeah. And then they started implementing a tight end doing the screen. Like they, he was, he's in the gun. They would motion to tight end. He would take the snap and he would sneak quick. So that's the only thing you'd be concerned about. But I, th- I think you utilize it right now because it would be huge in terms of actually helping you win games. And I mean, that's the thing. I, I feel like there's this large I, – I was one leading it not that long ago, Nick, where we were looking at 2023 as part of the development of the Chicago Bears. And, and that's absolutely true. But the Bears just lost 14 games. Like, eventually front office members have to talk to the owner. Eventually coaches have to talk to the GM. Like, you do have to deliver in the NFL. You can't ride off of good process and unlucky results forever. And I don't think the bar's that high, Nick. I think if they win seven games, you have contented everybody in the building. And then eight, nine, God forbid I say a number higher than that. Like <laughs> that just gets people that much more excited. But- I mean, that's that's the Eagles change, Robert. I mean, they went from what like four wins with Doug Peterson to mm-hmm. eight wins is the first year with Nick uh, Sirianni, whatever, and then their big fourteen win season last year. So that that's the progression we want. It comes fast. It comes fast mm-hmm. in the NFL, and I mean, mm-hmm. especially for anyways, we could keep talking about this, but we got to talk <laughs> about the Packers game. And, yeah, we do. Yeah. And one of the ways that I know we wanted to talk about this is to not only get into the general scheme, but really get situational with this. Huh. So we're going to try this format. Listener, you let us know if it works, but I, I'm excited about it. So let's start by talking. Do you want to talk injuries first or do you want to talk about the scheme and we build in the injury talk to that scheme? Talking about where guys that are out may hurt the idea of what these team is trying to do. Um, let's do injuries quick and then we, then, then that'll tie in because it'd be nice and easy because some guys might not be there. So, so let's quick go through the Chicago injury report. So that came out today. Iberflus talked a little bit about it in his press conference. Uh, we already know Tevin Jenkins and Doug Kramer are on IR. They're both out, but now we have a little bit of behind the curtain. What was going on with some of these injuries? So a few of them, Demarcus Walker, 
He's he was limited today in practice. This is Wednesday. Okay, so we'll know we'll get more reports Thursday, Friday, etc. Um, he had a calf injury, which I thought was interesting. I didn't hear about that. Um, Eddie Jackson was limited, your boy, with an ankle. And then uh Jaquan Brisker was limited, and it's a groin injury. Now, I had thought this whole time it was a concussion. But right. I, they did I mention it was a concussion at one point. Right. right. So it shifted. It I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, when it comes to early injuries like this, especially since so many of them are soft tissue, I never know. And to me, seeing that they're practicing in a limited fashion is always a positive because mm -hmm. especially in the NFL, I've seen the Friday and the Saturday injury report carry a ton of weight. And the guys that can't really practice, but they know they're going to play, they will go DNP, DNP limited. So yep. this feels like a further abundance of caution. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite the bears, but I would imagine these guys are going to be as full go as you're going to get though. If there's one that worries me, I hadn't realized that Eddie Jackson, his ankle, it was his ankle that right. kept him out of the season last year. He is coming up on 30. Like I love his instincts. If he has more ankle problems, it could be, I'm not even playing games, the end of his career. If things yep. get out of hand, because some of these injuries, especially for older guys, like they just they take what you had away. Mm -hmm. So that'll be something that I would want to watch. But the good news is, is that Eddie isn't surviving and thriving off of pure athletic talent. Like it's his recognition abilities that let him make the plays that he makes. So mm -hmm. he, of all people, should be able to manage this. But the mm -hmm. Bears are going to need him because the safety coming down from that free spot to stop Aaron Jones is probably going to need to make, what would you say, probably two, likely three tackles what right outside of the running hole that are going to either chop Jones down for an 8-10 to 10 yard gain or it's going to turn into a real explosive if yeah, Eddie doesn't yeah. get there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And, and actually, I have some stats on that later, which I, but I agree with you. I think that's important. And, and going back to the injuries, if they're limited on a Wednesday, think of how, how long that is before the actual game. It's a while. And let, let's say I got a really bad ankle, okay? And you're the coach. Would you want me doing anything on that ankle in practice? Not if it's that bad. No. So, so I don't think that these are that bad and that's why they're, they're playing one other one, uh, Dylan Cole. Now we know it's a hamstring. That's what's whole held him out this whole time. He was a DMP. My, the way Eberflus talked in the press conference was that everyone will be able to play. So he's the only one where the DMP worries me, but he's been out so long. I wonder if the hamstring will eventually be fine for the game day, but if not, and he's the only one I'm okay with it. I um, hate saying this. I wonder if Eberflus took the question to mean everybody important or everybody that the media is asking about and just made the assumption that the media isn't asking about Dylan Cole. And that's not yeah, to come yeah. down on Dylan. He's a great special teamer. But I imagine that the coach is thinking, you're asking about Brisker and Jackson and right. uh, and Demarcus, right? Yeah, they're going to be right. fine. You know what I mean? And, and, and the good news is, Robert, who's not on this injury report, Chase Claypool is not even on the report because you know Amen. you can find if you if you don't add people on there, who else isn't on there? Any offensive lineman? Thank God, not on there. Thank God. It like hopefully Lucas Patrick is the patron saint that Twitter told me he was in 2022 because he's not hurt this time and the Bears could use him at center. We'll get there. But it's funny mm -hmm. that we talk a little bit about Dylan Cole's hamstring because man. 
did we get some big hamstring news today or what from the Packers injury report? I mean, I mean, it was a, it was a bomb that dropped that. And again, I'm, I'm one that as, as a, as an athlete, as you know, actually I'm, I'm still injured. That's a whole other story for off air at some point, but, but I hate injuries. I loathe injuries. The worst. But, but this is definitely something that increases if these players don't play the bears odds of winning the game. So, so we knew Romeo Dobbs was hurting with a hamstring for a while. Yes. If, you know, if you haven't been, you know, up on the news, he's been dealing with that. He didn't practice today, but the big bomb that dropped was Christian Watson, their best receiver, arguably did not practice either with a hamstring. And from what I saw from reports, um, Oh, this is the quote from Matt LaFleur, by the way, on both of them. He says, we'll give him the whole week. And we'll see where they're at. That does not sound good to me. And no. and from eyewitness reports, they said that Watson was like on a bike and Dobbs was actually doing some kind of running and some kind of stretching. So to me, if either of them is going to play on Sunday, I think it's Romeo Dobbs. It, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, a new hamstring twinge this week and you're going to play at the end of the week, that seems pretty unlikely. These things take a while to iron out. And I mean, as a Bears fan, it is hard for me to overemphasize just how important it would be for this Bears secondary to be able to bracket the other one because one of them isn't on the field. Like, Christian Watson, in my opinion, is one of the most dangerous receivers in the NFC North. I mean, we're talking about a six-man list, more than likely, but if there was anybody on this Packers team that was going to crack a 1,000 yards, I think it was far and away going to be him, whereas mm -hmm. Dobbs is going to be get relegated into somebody that can strike deep occasionally, but somebody's got to be the possession receiver. And while Watson can do a little bit of it, you want him to stay on that outside where he's been so explosive. And then when he kicks into the slot, still go ahead and get down the field. That MVS plus role where people can say that like that's a bad thing. But the deep stretching receiver that stretches the field and punishes you for it, that's a huge part of any offense, especially an offense like one that Jordan Love may actually be able to run, where he can use the cannon loaded on his shoulder to get the ball downfield in a hurry. And for a guy like Watson, you could really punish a team like Chicago that doesn't rush the passer as well as, you might, as, well as I think Bears fans would want them to. But man, man, Nick, if Watson's not playing, like, I'm not saying you can definitely keep Dobbs under control, but you can force the rookies to have to have a bigger hand. Like, you can force Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft, and whether it's going to be Grant DuBose or Samori Toure or whoever else they trot out at receiver, that room is so borderline despicably young. I don't think I've ever mm -hmm. seen a receiver room this green. Nick, yep. that was put together. Receiver plus tight end, that is. And I think that's going to put them in a real jam because mm -hmm. this is a grown man's league that does not give you a rookie learning curve. And yep. I mean, I was using this as an example of somebody else who I was talking about offline. Like Nick, if Jaden Reed in the third quarter is asked to run an eight-yard out route just a little differently than he's been running it, maybe an in-route or a curl, and they're like, hey, instead of your landmark being the hash, your landmark needs to be this spot instead because they're lining up Kyler Gordon on the hash. And then Jaden Reed gets to his spot, stares at his landmark to figure out where it is, and then looks back at the ball, and Kyler catches it. That can be the difference 
between what would have been a veteran completion because he gave nothing away and an interception that goes the other yeah. way. Like the NFL is cruel and it is cruelest to rookies. It's mm-hmm. why talented rookies like Cole Komet, say what you will about Cole Komet, will have half of the passing production that they have later down the road. It's because it's it's hard <laughs> like and to play as a well, young kid. Well, I will say this though. I mean, there are rookies that produce. Sure. I mean, a lot that initial year, but those are top of then first round picks, Jamar chases. I mean, I mean, look at Justin Jefferson. He was unbelievable, but right in front of him was Jalen Rager who did nothing. So exactly. uh, It's been, it's been a lot of first round picks. There hasn't been a ton of second, third round picks that have just balled out. Think of Valus Jones last year, raw guy who needed to do something. Think of Jaden Reed. If both of these guys are out, and they struggle because they get all this attention and they feel pressure. And what, what it does is you were talking about with the defense, because that's why these speed guys go in round one, round two, round three. Think of like two, two at well, they're like, yes. why is he a second round pick? He John changes Ross. the dynamic. Yeah. Of how defenses can guard you. So if you don't have Watson or Dobbs and Eddie Jackson can creep down a yard or two more, mm-hmm. it, it really sinks everything in. Like the Packers issue a couple of years ago was that Alan Lazard, Devonte Adams, they kind of had this slow team and they didn't have any explosive plays down the field. And so defenses really could change how they guard them and they didn't get big gains. They didn't get huge chunk plays that, that could stretch. And then they could get this intermediate route underneath the yes. vertical route. And, and that's, that's really what is we're talking about here is that if you can't have those two guys on the field who have any experience also, by the way, Don Tavian Wicks, Rookie receiver has a hamstring injury and he was limited. He's limited, so maybe, but that's another injury at receiver. I mean, they are so beat up right now. And if you want Jordan Love's second NFL start with all of this hype, they have hype up there. They have pressure up there as well, not just Chicago. And you don't have these big weapons. It's going to be really tough. And I mean, it's just not easy. Like it's a pressure cooker for both sides. Fields is trying to reverse the curse. And Jordan Love doesn't want to be the first Packers quarterback to not come in and immediately just dominate the Bears because you're following the footsteps of Aaron Rodgers, who you watched for three years, and Brett Favre. And you have your own spin on the offense. Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. you've also been repping camp all offseason with Watson and Dobbs in very specific spots that if they are not there and somebody else has to be there, they may run their out route a little differently. They yep. may run like mm-hmm. their curl route a little differently. And I want to talk about Luke Musgrave because I'll tell you what. Okay, so look, I wasn't the highest on Luke Musgrave out of the draft. It's not for a lack of talent. He didn't play a ton. Injuries always freak me out. And I never believe in an NFL offensive coordinator to use a speed vertical threat tight end creatively enough. LaFleur, based on what we've seen through practice reports, has absolutely proven that wrong. He looks like he wants to turn Luke Musgrave into a star. I'll tell you what, in my opinion, Nick, that would have been a lot easier if you had a tight end that could start in 12 personnel as the primary blocker. And you just Mm -hmm. didn't have to worry about Luke Musgrave learning to play tight end so much as learning to play souped up Jimmy Graham receiver like Zach Ertz meets Travis Kelsey with a little bit of extra speed. But now that he's got to be one of your primary blockers, like that's a whole extra like scoop of responsibility placed Mm -hmm. on his plate. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's going to slow him down 
on a, a key third and five running stick over the middle or a key jet down the sidelines. Like it's one thing to think that these guys will finally get their play call and they'll go, Oh, I know this one. But when you've got to balance everything and you're tired and it's the like halfway through the third quarter, you're breathing heavily and you go, Oh, what's, what's my assignment again. And as you mm-hmm. do, the ball gets snapped. You're just a little slow out of your stance, man. That could be the difference. That can be yeah. the difference between a huge person like Tremaine Edmonds covering you up or are you getting wide open for a touchdown? Yeah. Well, well, we saw it in Chicago. That was what happened with Tyler Scott. Didn't see the audible. He went to block instead of actually be the bubble yeah. on that screen. And then Justin Fields was like, okay, now I have to run because this rookie messed up. And again, second round rookie versus fourth round rookie. I get it, but they're still rookies. And still there's still going to be these learning curves. And that's that's one of the big issues for Green Bay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I got two other things on the injuries. So one yeah. is... Christian Watson has had hamstring issues in the past. He had them last year. That's what he missed some games for. So this popping up is a little bit worse because it's like, okay, this could be a nagging thing and they might want to baby him coming back. Other injuries quickly for Green Bay. Rashawn Gary, their their best defensive player. If you want the to heart him. and soul of their defense. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's good. Um, limited practice, come back from the ACL. Rumored to be on a pitch count. He's only practiced for about two weeks. So I don't know how the conditioning, how how used to everything he's going to be, um, which does favor a little bit. If you think on a pitch count, you think of like, when do we want this guy in the game? It's going to be pass rush. It's not going to be the rundowns, you know? It's, um, I, I actually talked to a couple doctors about this. I, I know a couple people, like I know one guy who he's not, I know one guy who's a straight up trainer. His name's Mason West. He's over at Windy City Gridiron. You should give his podcast a listen because he does great work on injury stuff just like this. As well as another guy also with Windy City Gridiron, Ross Reed, has been a personal trainer for his entire life. So you get two very different perspectives there. Um, and what they've talked about, Nick, is this idea that like it's not possible for the ACL to be fully healed after eight to nine weeks you or eight to nine months. You can be in a playable condition. You could be in a position where 90% of Rashad Gary might be good enough to beat Darnell Wright one and a half times, and that could swing the game because he's so good that 85 to 90% of him might be enough to still make some plays. But even on a pitch count, Nick, I would be stunned if we're seeing his 100 mile an hour fastball like Hmm. we may be getting a pretty good Rashad Gary a still dangerous Rashad Gary but I doubt all of his explosion is in that knee if that makes Mm -hmm. sense and oh no I know that makes sense did they give you like an indication of when players are normally 100% it can take up to 18 months for the knee to fully heal and it's why you'll get seasons just like um Michael Gallup just had for the Cowboys last year where he goes from a promising player to super duper meh coincidentally between months 13 and 16 coming back from the ACL Robert Tunyon Robert Tunyon exactly and he's clear of that 18 month stretch it's not to say that in Tunyon's case you're you're asking the question of is he's going to be as athletic at 29 as he was at 27 whole different question but ACLs are just long in the tooth recoveries and you can play so people do and they look like superheroes but if you could treat it like Tommy John's people would treat it like Tommy John's you just you don't have to so they don't does that make sense 
Well, speaking, no, it does. And speaking of ACLs, that's one of the other ones to, to right. talk about with Packers injuries is David Bakhtiari, which we've heard a ton about. There's an article in The Athletic that came out, uh, talked about he has had four surgeries on that knee. This offseason, the first one that he did not have. So you'd think, okay, he's good to go, right? That's not the case. So um, during training camp this summer, he didn't play in the preseason. He only practiced sporadically. Um like he would practice on a Thursday of a joint practice uh, against New England, and they didn't practice again till the next Thursday before the preseason finale against Seattle. So he just takes so much time off and um, didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday the week before, and he didn't practice uh, today, and it's a vet rest day, you know, which I get, I understand sometimes, but if you're barely practicing at all, that knee is a concern. And we've talked about, you know, we've heard the rumors of him not going to play on turf. Um, I just don't know what, and again, another year older. And if that knee is still not fully healed, what version of Bakhtiari? He was good last year when he played. He was good. Don't get me wrong. But he still missed games here or there. And he had that appendectomy too, which is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, we are not even related to the knee. But he's a good player when he's in there. But father time always wins, Robert. And, yeah. and I just... How is that knee going to be? Um, he's their best lineman by far, though. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Though they have some good ones on that line. Like Elton Jenkins can play. Zach Tom popped, especially as a pass protector. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's probably heard that by now. I right. can't help but agree with you that there's there's a lot of players on this Packers roster where they're one poor step away from things getting out of hand. And I'll knock on wood as I say that because, again, high school team, beats the bears wearing Packers colors, <laughs> my nightmare. Like my whole life, I've seen Johnny two left feet start at left tackle and stonewall Khalil Mack. Like oh. it's been my whole life. So I am not about to pretend that David Bakhtiari is a massive problem until the moment he is. But dick of it, dick, it's going to happen eventually. Like yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one of these days where sane football discussion will apply to a Bears-Packers game. Like I know we will get one of them. But I haven't had that happen in the last eight. So, yeah, and, and you'll have to pinch me from Texas before that happens. I'd be like, "Wait, really? Really? We're right. good, and they're not good." Exactly. So. And speaking of good, not good, let's talk about these units. Let's start with what I love talking about: when the Bears have the football and the Packers are on defense. What schematic points do you see coming into this game that really make a difference to you? So this is, I keep hearing about the Packers defensive line and how good they are. And they're going to give the Bears offensive line issues. And I I've, I've went way in depth on this. Like I do with a lot of stuff as, as I think that you love. So just going back to last year, offensive line was not as good week. And again, this is just with fields and running backs. Week two, Chicago averaged 6.7 yards per carry. Week 13, Chicago averaged 6.7 yards per carry. I think the offensive line is better this year. I know we don't have Jenkins, right, this game. We hope. That's that's still, I would think, 6.7 sounds like that's pretty much the number or potentially better, which I think Montgomery was inefficient. And then when I go and I look at the Packers' defensive line and linebackers and even secondary, they're bad stopping the run, all of them. Um, Rashawn Gary is the best. I mean, again, this is off of PFF and some stuff that I've seen. Rashawn Gary is the best, but again, he's limited. Then you look in inside Kenny Clark gets hyped up a bunch, right? 
He's a pass rusher. He's actually, well, he was the 45th, by the way, best defensive tackle last year. People don't know that. He's He's been dropping off. And he's way better rushing than he is defending the run. Slayton is just a nose tackle. He's okay. Maybe below average stopping the run. Wyatt was just okay as a rookie last year. The ends, you know, they're pass rushers. And then the linebackers, this is the other part. I don't, and they're a first, they have so many first round picks on that defense. I don't think people realize how horrible Quay Walker was against the run last year. We can go and look at Dylan Cole and obviously Jack Sanborn. They were head and shoulders above Quay Walker in run defense last year than Quay Walker. Quay Walker was 35.1. I know you know PFF, Robert. 35.1 against the run is hideous. 60 is considered baseline. If you don't play, you get a 60. If you are a corner and you weren't targeted, for some reason they don't grade the snaps that you're not targeted. I'll never understand it. To me, those are just important, separate discussion. But they'll give you a 60 because that's your no grade. When you get a 35, you were flat bad, uh, according to them. And I think they're horribly hard on linebackers. That's a whole separate conversation on like, what do the grades tell us? But relativistically speaking, like if I can jump in, it's so funny you mention all this, Nick, because Kenny Clark is one of my favorite Packers players, especially because he dominated the Bears for a good stretch there, especially 2019, 2020. But I looked it up. Kenny Clark has not been defending the run well for the last two years. That What a weird coincidence too, Nick, because that's exactly how long Joe Barry's been there. Since Joe Barry got to town, it seems as if he's been emphasizing Kenny Clark being a pass rusher. And it's not that Kenny was, by any means, a bad pass rusher in Dom Capers' defense, but Kenny is... Um, let's say stop start, right? He, in this late, latest Bears game, the one that I was literally just watching before this show, Kenny has made, I'm halfway through the third quarter before we started recording and I ran out of time, but Kenny had made three huge plays against the run and he'd also gotten wiped out of about seven plays by double teams. He, I wonder if he lost some weight so that he could be a little bit more penetrative at the cost of being able to stand up to double teams the way that Akeem Hicks did. But... If you take Clark out of the equation, everybody else on that defensive line, sans Gary, is Pedigree and Preston Smith. And they like Nick to get really, really wide. It got really common to play the Bears with a five down front. And the Packers wanted to do a lot of snaps where they put two linebackers in nickel and four down wide nines and two three ticks on each side. And the Bears were chewing that up. I mean, if the Bears saw too high, they ran the ball. It was like a college offense. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if they saw too high against anybody, Packers included, they ran the ball. And man, did they gash Green Bay a couple times for, like, pretty basic runs. Like, these are 13-yard gainers, 9-yard gainers, 8-yard gainers. But that turns second and nine into third and one, and then it's a free pickup. Based on the way that Chicago was playing, you got a new set of downs, so you're 10 yards closer. I don't think that the Bears running the ball efficiently is a question. Unless either Leighton Vander Esch plays really well defending the edge, which is possible. The guy's a physical hoss. L- Lucas Van Ness. Lucas Van Ness. I don't know why I turned it into Leighton Van Der Esch. <laughs> the D- Dallas linebacker. Yeah, no. clearly. Yeah, whoops. Big L on me. But like if, if Van Ness 
plays super physical run defense, maybe. If Devontae Wyatt rises up to the occasion, maybe. But I feel like they need a couple guys that can gap in a half. And at least based on what we're seeing on the roster, they're not even trying to. Maybe no. Joe Barry will change that, but it almost seems like he's going to sell out to pressure the passer and create havoc. And the Bears would see that and just hand the ball off until the like the sun burns out because they'll be happy to. You know what I mean? Well, the, the other thing that I saw schematically was they did do that a lot too. But then also you talk about how wide they get is that they would get almost in like a 51 where they would have five your 3D linemen, your two edges, and they would only have one linebacker and they'd be in these sub packages of all these DBs and the stuff they love to do, which is fine. That's something that goes all the way back to like Dom Capers. I feel like the Packers are yes. going to be so edgy with how things look and the Bears just ran the ball with Matt Forte. Like, okay, whatever. So what they would have is they would have Slayton at nose tackle and he could be shaded a little bit, mm-hmm. zero or one technique. But then they would have basically two four eyes or they might come down into the three techs there. Right. And then they would have two wide nines and one linebacker. And and I'm just looking at them like, wow, you could just like let a nine tech go and you could just double team your way up to a backer and you have easily four yards. So I think the Packers are almost inviting the Bears running. And so that made me look at, again, I know this is PFF grades, but again, it's another eye of how good are the Bears linemen at run blocking when you don't have Tevin Jenkins, right? He's the right. best one. So Braxton Jones, the, the more I look into him, what a year he had oh, last yeah. year. Now, to be fair, he is one of the most scheme-assisted players, according to PFF. Like, you can tell when you look at yeah. it because they the Bears, as often as they could, kept him out of true pass sets, and they basically had him run block as often as possible. So yeah. Braxton was going to get that rare plus two from PFF on the plays where he swung out and made a sweet run block in open space. And then on passing downs, the bears were to go chip his side to go make sure that he didn't get the big minus one minus two. If you don't know which you should do PFF grades, everything in plus one plus two minus Mm -hmm. one minus two zero or half marks. So if we're ever talking about PFF's grading scale, again, it is an extra opinion. And the only reason I'm talking about this, Nick is I think Braxton's a smidgen worse than his PFF grades that say he was above average last year, but that's still great company to be in, right? Yeah. Well, well, but, but yeah, especially when you look at, uh, and again, I mean, super athletic tackle that so would pull and get out and run plays or sweet in the screen run blocker touchdowns that we saw in preseason. So, I mean, he's up there, but then even when you look at like Whitehair and Patrick, they're both like 62 ish. Um, Nate Davis, you know, he's back. He's fine. No, no issues. 69.8. We don't know what right is, but when you add, compare those grades to the Packers run stopping guys, I mean, they're really going to have an issue stopping the run. So I think getting back to like what the bears want to do, I think they want to start out running the ball and it's second and five it's second and six and it it's third and short and nick it just dawned on me that there's probably at least one plucky bears fan out there saying how are you guys spending this much time talking about the boring run game like i want to throw the ball and you know what so do the bears but the run game kind of bases everything chicago wants to do because Mm -hmm. if they can get you to cluster up towards the line of scrimmage that's going to hit play action that much harder The goal is for the Bears to fake the play-action handoff, for Justin Fields to turn around, and for there to be nobody 
past the 10 yard mark in coverage because both linebackers in a perfect world took two full steps towards their run gaps before realizing, Oh shoot, I'm out of position. And so Mm -hmm. to your point, Nick, I actually came in with this exact same thought that the bears have to be able to run between the tackles. They Mm -hmm. can stretch the sideline like crazy, whether that's Justin Fields running game or like in his option pulls that he can do and the wild Mm -hmm. stuff Fields is able to do with his legs or the toss game that I love so much that the bears do. The bears kill teams with things like toss crack, pin and pull, G lead, power concepts, long trap. The Bears have the whole Rolodex. They're near the Lions in terms of run game complexity, and I am obsessed. But teams kind of caught wise to the idea of they are way, way worse between the tackles than they are when we let them get to space. And so they just started hanging extra defenders out towards the run side. Like wherever the tight end was nubbed up, just assume toss crack could come from there. And we'll be better off. So to me, if Lucas Patrick, Nate Davis, and Cody Whitehair can bring a little bit of extra juice, you're going to put Joe Barry in a position he doesn't want to be in. Because the Bears, like you're saying, they may stay ahead of the chains the whole dadgum game. And they'll take a holding penalty here and there. Every offense does. They'll give up a run stuff. But by and large, this is a team. It's one of the only teams in the country that is patient enough with the run game to actually run it every down where running is viable. And I don't think every Bears fan is going to love that, but no, it, it does I, work when you've got yeah, a quarterback I, as athletic as Fields. Th- this is one of those games where I think everyone wants to see this high-flying passing attack, but I think yards. it could end up being one when you run the ball a ton and you you run for – 200 plus yards and win the game, which I think that's the only goal here. One other thing I want to add into this is I think that Chicago could potentially be better running to the outside this year for the reason that you have one of the best run blocking tight ends and Mercedes Lewis Mm -hmm. now who could help more with crack toss or, you know, any counters or however you want to go. And you got Claypool back who has the whole offense and he's going to be a good run blocker big and, you man. Got, and you got St. Brown you got these big guys out there that can help oh yeah I mean and it's the second year of the offense like mm-hmm. all of the the Bears practically invented some of the stuff on the fly obviously they didn't invent it but they implemented a lot of it very middle and late of the season they didn't start the season with a heavy emphasis on toss action And when they did, they often did those inside tosses. They kind of stopped doing those once they realized that the inside tosses weren't as helpful as they wanted them to be. I think that the Bears are going to use the passing game, if they can afford to, as an uppercut. But if there is one thing, Nick, that I want to throw at you, the other really intriguing rub is everything you and I just said builds off of the Bears 2022 film. But none of it involves the clear and obvious biggest and splashiest move the bears made on offense this year dj Moore. the -hmm. bears aren't actually like as much as i just said that they they could easily and they might just take you up on running it every down when it's viable the bears are going to call 35 percent of the offense to get the ball into dj Moore's hands one Mm -hmm. way or another which i think is so interesting and makes this such a fun game for evaluating justin fields because the bears don't have such a forgettable wide receiver room that the Bears will just ignore the passing game of the offense and get there when they get there, right? This Mm -hmm. probably will 
bring some surprises. I bet the Bears are going to try to get into a little bit more quick game. And it's not a surprise, given that I understand the preseason didn't go the way that a lot of Bears fans wanted them to. But Fields in Week 14, Week 16, Week 15 was much better 13, 15, 16. This buy at Week 14, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Um, he got much better at snap hits his hands, step, step, throw the football, no hitch. And that's not uh, – he's only on time in some of those plays. But, Nick, I can't help but think that the Bears are probably going to throw the ball on first down much more than we saw them do it last year. Maybe occasionally, not even with the protection of play action. Though it wouldn't surprise me also if the Bears go the other route, or route the Eagles route, of we're going to play action protect every single drop back because we can, so we will. I mm-hmm. am so curious to see which flavor of the Bears offense that we see because I actually feel like we do have a good example of what Joe Barry's going to be. He's going to run mm-hmm. a slightly more exotic version of what Matt Eberflus is trying to do. Like, the fronts are going to be way wider. They're going to keep that middle super fluffy. Please run it at the heart of our defense, which may not work for Barry the way that he wants to against a team as hard-nosed as Chicago probably will be. But those matchups on the outside, man, like Claypool was our wide receiver one at one point. Mooney was our wide receiver one at one point. DJ Moore is now our wide receiver one, but those guys are still there. Like, Mm -hmm. I know it's the Twitterati thing to say, but like... I imagine the Bears are going to try to run third down plays on second down to keep themselves out of third down if they can avoid it when they end up in those second and 10 scenarios. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, and and just for people that, that just follow along. So what that means is like running maybe some kind of the passing concepts when the Packers are going to be in fronts or personnel packages that favor more run stopping versus pass coverage type of units. And so um, a few other things that I think that we could see a lot of, I mean, if you want to go play action or RPO, I think we are screen game in terms of even quick screens to Claypool to Mooney. I think that's going to be a lot more prominent this year. It was something we, we leaned on a lot more the last half of the year when we had nobody to throw to. It's Nothing. like, okay, we don't want to get it sacked. We want to get, you know, a couple of yards, but I think those yards are going to get bigger when you have to concentrate on the run more inside. And then also, I think when you look at matchups, Jair Alexander is a very good corner. He just is. And very so good. he's one I don't want to throw at. Rasul is gambly a little bit, but he's a solid corner. Keyshawn Nixon is playing nickel. He's not a very good defender. In fact, he barely played defense. Uh, and now he's going to be the starting start at nickel. And then the safeties are the worst tandem in the NFL. I mean, it's, it's close to that. So that's what you want to pick on. So if you want to create a favorable matchup for, I don't know, the guy you talked about, uh, Oh, DJ Moore was his name. Maybe we're going to put Mooney on the outside or Claypool on the outside or anyone doesn't matter. And now all of a sudden DJ Moore's in the slot against Keyshawn Nixon. That's exactly what green Bay did for years with Devante Adams, right? Oh, we don't want Jalen Johnson going against him. Now we're going to motion him. We're going to create matchups and space for your star to perform. And I'm glad you brought up the De- Devontae Adams, Jalen Johnson game where I love Jalen Johnson. Devontae Adams undressed Jalen Johnson because most corners don't follow people. Most corners play sides. Jair Alexander plays right cornerback. And if the Packers see DJ Moore as such a problem that Jair needs to shadow DJ Moore, I think Jair is going to get ripped up if he plays slot corner. It's different. 
It's not the same assignment. Mm -hmm. You don't have the sideline as your friend. You break differently. You use a different power foot when you're playing left corner to right corner. And if you've played one the whole, nearly the whole of your career, it's going to make switching on the fly much more difficult than Mm -hmm. it is for receivers who switch all the time, both for fun and because that's what weapons do. I can't help but think that, look, I promise not everything we're going to talk about is going to sound like it's heavily Bears favored, but the offense, both offenses, when they were healthy, I thought had pretty significant advantages over yep. the the defense across from them. The Bears yep. have the tools to break this thing wide open for themselves. It's going to be a matter of whether the ball hits the turf or not, to be honest with you. Like when the Bears throw the ball, is Justin Fields going to hit similar shots like he did to Claypool? The 18-yard seven stop, uh, the 15-yard dig that Claypool inevitably got hurt on, the quick screens that kept the offense alive. Because when Fields was hitting throws early in that Packers game, the Packers straight up had no answer to a team whose best receiver was Chase Claypool and then like nobody. And then third right. best receiver was Equinamia St. Brown, et cetera, et cetera. We can make all the jokes we want, right? But mm-hmm. this is a Bears attack that could actually be somewhat high-powered against a defense like this, especially because Jair is more of a zone corner and likes to hunt underneath, whereas DJ Moore is a go-ball specialist. And I swear, if he throws a basic little like shoulder fake that makes something look like a curl and Jair takes the bait, you could be looking at another long play over the top of Jair Alexander, much to Packers fans' chagrin. But I don't know. I don't want to get... Well- too crazy to me the big question this is my big question actually you were about to say something go and then i got yeah one yeah so i well counter i think jerry's not bad in man coverage i think he's still good and he's i think very russell good in douglas, i think russell douglas is better in man than he is in zone and i think green bay could change things up especially thinking of the bears with your man coverage with some of the receivers and you're either blitzing or you're green dogging or you're spying just in, in green dog for people that don't know if you keep your running back in and your linebacker is guarding them if they go to like pass block they blitz um and, or they just spy him to try to contain fields um and then generate pressure so i think they could because because you if you're going to go qb spy you got to go man coverage that's just how it works so i i think that we could see more man coverage this game i Nate Tice and Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Show have been talking about the rise of man coverage and they use preseason stats. That really drives me crazy. Like that (laughs) makes me want to go look up whether preseason defenses have correlated with rising rising defensive trends in the NFL. I'm sure it could, Nick, but that just sounds fake to me, right? Like, of course, you'd see more man coverage. It's the preseason. Man coverage is man coverage and it's Mm -hmm. a great evaluation tool. But beyond that, I digress. The Bears could see a lot more man coverage. You got to have a plan for Fields. Like, Steven Ruiz pissed off a lot of Bears fans saying Fields is one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the NFL until the ball leaves his hands. But say what you will, it's true. The most dangerous part of Fields' game at this moment is that two seconds from when he takes the snap to whenever the end of that is, right? Like... If he breaks out of the pocket, you have to have a plan. Alex Anzalone of the Lions was a quarterback spy and could not keep up with Fields. It was a waste having Anzalone spied up to Fields because he constantly guessed wrong on which side Fields was going to come out of the pocket, and then Fields just ran for another first down. Um, well, Robert, I, I have to say something. You're right there. 
Steven Ruiz, okay, he's off my Christmas card list. Okay. Yep. <laughs> he, he, he has he listed Jordan Love higher than Justin Fields. It's so preseason bias. I he's it is. It well, yes. It's I, content, there's, there's, it's preseason bias. I know I'm gonna clicks. sound like I'm defending him, but it I get clicks. it. Field, but I'm just saying he's off the Christmas card list. Do you want to go? The, go ahead. Fields is the devil, you know. Jo- Jordan Love is the devil, you don't. And uh, while the saying says you should stick with the devil, you know, like I don't know. I, by the way, just fitting this in here, Fields has a lot to prove. I think he has an easier road than most people think he does to proving it. The existence yeah. of DJ Moore, the existence of Chase Claypool on his team, like. These are natural pass number boosts that should just apply like over his games. I mean, if nearly nothing changes, we should see a 45 yard increase at, on average in Justin Fields passing games on the same attempts. I mean, like, I mean, a 98 passer rating from week seven to week 16, 98. If you, if you pull bears fans, Hey, Fields throws 98 quarterback rating for the year. Everyone will be like, yep. Raise their hand. Yep. I'm in oh, on that. Would. So, so if he just does that with better line, with a better weapon. Speaking of, if there's one thing that I'm looking for, like, yes, I said, I want to see Fields and DJ Moore develop a bread and butter short game pass. Of course I do. Like, there are a lot of schematic things that I want to see. But if there is, if I could pick one of them over any of them, Nick, Justin Fields became one of the most electric, if not the most electric NFL running quarterbacks in the league. Like you could even add him to the historical list. I know he's been adding himself to historical lists, but you really rationally could. Now that we are in year three and year two of Justin Fields being a superstar, like running quarterback that can make fun of adding wheels to himself on an NFL commercial. Like, can we get just a couple more scramble drill plays that don't ultimately result in Fields having to run the ball? Like stretch the sideline, extend the play, DJ Moore is open downfield for 25 yards. Stretch the sideline. Cole Komet wraps behind the breaking Quay Walker and Fields just dumps the ball off to him. Komet turns up the or Komet turns up the field, picks up 22 yards, runs over a safety, walks into the end zone, and all the Packers fans tweet about how those don't count as passing yards. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the yep. like I want to see the specific scramble drill component of the bears offense get just a little more dangerous because when you've got a weapon like fields that can straight up launch the ball, Nick, like the bears should be able, they don't all have to look like that Eagles touchdown. They don't all have to look like the throw that he made to Dante Pettis at the start of the season last year, but just a couple more plays where fields draws the attention of two defenders and then throws the ball to somebody who takes advantage of the space that those two defenders vacated, that's going to put defenses in a blender if they have to think about, well, where is everybody? Cause he's hurting us in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Well, well, and, and so, so people understand what scramble drill is. So, so defenses or coverages specifically are designed to really stop a passing game for up to about five seconds, six seconds is really stretching it. R- really, the average plays about three to four seconds. So, so five, six, you're really stretching it. And, and a lot of that is because, you know, man coverage, they're running all over the field. But even in zone coverage, something called match quarters, which is really popular, is after about eight to 12 yards, 
they're basically man coverage. And so people are way out of the spacing there, the design of the defense after a certain time period. So when you see, again, over time, this has really proven itself. When Big Ben extended plays because he could take eight hits and stay in the pocket. Yeah. When Aaron Rodgers would extend plays, when all of these guys can extend plays, Mahomes, all of a sudden people are wide open or there's natural grass and stretches because of how things have happened. That's why scramble drills are so effective. Honestly, I think that might be one of the biggest plays in the NFL is when plays, when you can't get a pass rush breaks down. Yeah. Cause pass rush is so big, right? That's why, that's why Nick Bosa, congratulations, just got $34 million a year. Cause you have to get after the quarterback. So building on I, that I, PFF released an article, just adding on to your point. Oh yeah. That plays beyond about four seconds i think was where they set the water line but it may have mm -hmm. been five seconds are the most successful plays in football and also the most unsuccessful plays in football that's Ooh. where you see the highest percentage of turnovers the highest percentage of sacks the highest percentage of lost yardage and the highest percentage of touchdown throws the highest percentage of deep strikes the highest percentage of explosives they all happen on those late downs, it's like you're rolling the dice. It makes you feel yeah, like yeah. a gambling man, you know? Yeah. I and I got and I got one other thing. This is back to fields rushing. Uh, I posted this on Twitter a few days ago. I, I just I I couldn't believe it actually. So he um I talked about he had 949 rushing yards his last 10 games. I, mm -hmm. I've talked about that in the last pod. Eight yards per carry and seven touchdowns, which is just still crazy. Um a 17 game pace of that is 1,613 yards, which is insane, right? It's ridiculous, but that just Need shows like his legs. <laughs> how yeah, right. Yeah. How dynamic he is. So I was like, okay, how, what's the best 10 game stretch for all these other quarterbacks, right? So I looked Jalen hurts. His best 10 game stretches, 572 yards, Cam Newton, 605 yards, Michael Vick, 822 yards and Lamar Jackson, 898 yards. So from what I what I calculated, again, this is by hand. I'm not a mathematician, but everything I calculated, Justin Fields, his the last 10 games he played, we're not picking and choosing, just the last 10 that he played, is the best 10-game rushing stretch for a quarterback in NFL history. Which includes a terrible Lions game, like a really, really awful Lions game. So you could even argue it's kind of fair because you're not, I think, the, do the last 10 games include the Patriots game? Uh, yes. yep. Yes. So you start at the Patriots, you go to the end that's of the season. Patriots, yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's Bills. That's he barely ran. Eagles, he had that big run. I mean, there's some good defenses in there too. Oh, yeah. There's some really good defenses in there. Yep. But speaking of defense, we can't talk about the Bears offense forever. We'll see no. what happens. I think, I think all Bears fans' eyes are on the Bears offense. Like, of course they are. But the defense needs to come through too. And I'll tell you what. If there is one thing that is um, a little funky, it's that the more I know I started digging into the data, the more I started looking at Packers film. For as good as Packers offensive line is, Nick, I expect them to be better at run blocking. <laughs> yes. we, we, we did not talk about this. This was my big point for the pod was the run blocking of the offense for the Packers and the lack of run stopping for the D line. Look at us. We're on the, we're, we're this is why we do a pod together, Robert. This is it. This is why. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you go first about it and then I'll, I'll hit my numbers. Well, so the Packers offense before Dobbs and Watson were out was built to run the football, pick up five yards, let Aaron Jones, who's one of the NFL's 
best speed rushers, and not enough people talk about how dynamic he is. He had 5.1 yards per carry last year, and he earned it. Anybody over five, you have my attention. But Jones will rip off these explosive runs that are absolutely beautiful, and the Bears have been on the receiving end of enough of them that we don't need to cover that any longer than we have to. But the Packers want to get you to add that extra guy to the box because once you're into single high, once they can get your linebackers flowing in wide zone ways that are actually very similar to what the Bears want to do, it's where Getsy pulled a lot of these ideas from. This is the grandfather scheme of what the Bears running game looks like. Then they are going to just kill you with play action. Little RPOs, little play action slants over the middle. And Love, unfortunately, plays really well on time. So you can see this offensive identity where they want to grind you, grind you, grind you until you cheat just a little bit. And the moment they can catch you cheating, they can gash you for plays over the middle in particular. And Love can hit really like nice out routes in time. He's hit some deep stretches that I imagine the Packers would want to do because they'll basically base everything off of play action. This is love's Mm -hmm. second start. His first one didn't go super great. Um, so my guess was going to be that the bear, the Packers didn't want to feature love in so far as they didn't have to. And one of the best ways to do that would be to lead with, to make your running game, the tip of your spear, The problem is that while their running backs are sweet, while David Bakhtiari and the rest of that Packers offensive line can play, they've got some guys like Zach Tom, who's a really great pass blocker, but he struggles a little more as a run blocker than you'd want him to. And I don't have, I wish I did, like a sweet stat like the Packers stuff rate. But to me, Nick, if I was the Bears, I would invite them to run the ball as long as they weren't killing us, killing us. Because... They can't pick up six yards forever. And eventually, if they're on second and nine or they take a holding call, it's first and 20. We're going to put them in a situation where they basically have to pass the ball. And that's what I would want if I was Chicago right now. You have to make Jordan Love beat you. It's easy to say, Mm -hmm. but I really mean it. Like, you have to make Jordan Love beat you on straight dropbacks. And I got to tell you, he has the talent where he might. If I'm the Bears, I want to feature these rookie receivers as as obviously as I can. I want to make Jaden Reed beat me in his yep. first NFL game. I want to make Tucker Craft make that huge block on Demarcus Walker to beat me. I want to make Luke Musgrave have to beat Tremaine Edmonds in man coverage to beat me. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm Chicago, and I mean, this was before Dobbs and Watson were hurt, which I can't emphasize enough because they're dangerous enough players. Both of those guys can get vertical on you. And if there's anything Jalen Johnson struggles with, it's truly explosive players like Christian Watson who can just fry him because he's not that fast, unfortunately. But if Watson's out, let alone if Dobbs is out too, like I I think that takes maybe the biggest fang of the Packers offense, which most would think it's their running game. I mean, the running game certainly what they're going to start with. But to me, Nick, Third and 10, Watson was the plan. Third, or like second and 12, Watson and Dobbs were the plan. Mm -hmm. They don't have a great way to get back ahead of schedule. Maybe LaFleur will prove me wrong. He's a really good offensive designer, but that's what I see. Yeah, and and we're on the same page. So I guess talking about the run game, you know, people talk about zone, you know, what is that? So I'm going to talk through that just quickly. So so zone is when everyone's stepping kind of one way. And so outside zone is when that aiming point, you're looking at 
the, just outside of the tight end or maybe right at the tight end. And then you'll see if defenses overflow, they cut back inside. Um, we're talking about like crack toss, right? That means when you actually can pin that outside defender and get outside of him. But then the split zone world, which is the other part you see all the time in this type of offense, in this type of offense, like Shanahan, LaFleur, even Getsy some, is when that tight end will come back underneath the line of scrimmage and kick out the backside DN. So when you're pushing, everyone's going to the right, let's say, and that tight end's coming across the left to, to kick out Walker, let's say. All of a sudden, that running back has that big cutback, and we've heard we've seen those big cutbacks. But then in play action, that tight end leaks out in the flat, and that's when like, oh, why is that guy always open? That's that easy play action. Right. So, so that's 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 kind of the flow. It's always east and west, and that's why the run game has to work for Green Bay because if it does, Jordan Love fakes this east and west run game, and then takes three to five steps back in his drop, and. When the defenders are going east and west, it's tough for them to get up the field and get a pass rush in. Absolutely. And that's when he had all this extra time built in. That's when Rodgers had extra time. And that's why, in my opinion, I think the Packers offensive line gets a little bit of bloated numbers in terms of how great they are. Because you have Aaron Rodgers and you have this extra time to throw these intermediate to deep crossing routes, which is what happens typically in the zone offense. So that's where you saw Watson running super fast using his four, three across the field. But when that's Jaden Reed, which we saw in preseason, Jordan Love had forever to throw. He's never pressured. That's part of it. And I get it. The Packers offensive line is good at pass protection. Zach Tom limited snap size was good as a pass blocker, but absolutely here's, here's the numbers for run blocking. So, they only have two guys out of, and I even have their top two reserves in here, two guys graded out in PFF, which you said 60 is the bare minimum, right? Of like, that's the baseline average, right? So Bakhtiari is 68.5 and Elgin Jenkins is 71.8. They're both pro bowl level type players. Yep. Myers is 53.5 running 53.6 Tom 55.7 Yash Nyman 54.1 and Rock. Royce Newman, 57.6. That's bad. That's and good. so you add in, how much did Aaron Rodgers help keep guys out of the box? And and remember those quick, just little smoke screens, things like that, and keep defenses honest. And so I'm not fearing the run game like I thought it was. And then actually I, I dove into this. So you have to look at how the, the Bears D-line is, which is our biggest fear. And yes. our guys are way better stopping the run than they are rushing the passer so oh, they're if, built for this the bears yeah, so, go ahead the bears attacked the defensive line and it's not okay so look i don't i hope i'm not bursting any bears fans bubble the bears defensive line in aggregate is not good and it can't be no. good because other defensive lines nearly all of them have that dude probably two that dudes but at least one that dude as good as nick bosa is there is a tj watt there is a Miles Garrett. As good as Chris Jones is, there is obviously an Aaron Donald, but even a Vita Vea is a huge warrior. There used to be a Fletcher Cox. Now there are guys like um, Mozzie Smith and what they're or what the Cowboys are hoping that he becomes. Don't mm -hmm. talk about Deron Payne. Don't talk about Dexter Lords. I think I've named 10 teams. We could keep going. Like Jeffrey Simmons is a beast. Defensive lines have players and the bears best defensive linemen 
right now is a toss-up, depending on your definition, between an elephant end that can rush the passer a little bit into Marcus Walker, a an edge two, maybe even an edge three in Yannick or Yannick Ngakwe, who is a speed rusher that does not hold up well against the run because of how small he is. Or maybe you tip your cap to the 330-pound nose tackle that basically doesn't have a rotation partner and is probably going to play an awful lot of this game in Andrew Billings if you wanted to go that direction, though he's always been a sub-50% snap guy. Like, Billings doesn't play these whole games for a reason. He's a huge dude. So the Bears defense... And he doesn't tackle well. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's hard to when you're I always tangoing with yeah, <laughs> like defensive yeah. linemen and getting a one on ones. But yeah. it's more to say, Nick, that I think that there's it's it's a hard thing to grasp. So I don't blame anybody for looking at the Bears defensive line and being like, well, this is objectively better than last year. Last year's was NFL unacceptable. Last year's shouldn't have been included on ranking lists. Like, mm-hmm. no, there's not another league out there. No, there's not a college team better than that defensive line. But there's a reason that starters from that defensive line are on practice squads this year. Like, or they're not even in the league, Nick. Like, yep. the Bears defensive line now gets to be included on real defensive line lists. But they really sold out to stop the run. They said, if we're going to be bad, we're going to at least contend a little bit in the run game because we are going to force third downs in aggregate and we are going to make teams convert 13 first downs on us to to score 24 points. And Mm -hmm. if, if there's one real positive about the bears to me, this is like the whisper that might need to be spoken in at least a normal voice. Nick Jordan love has a really bad habit in the wide world of quarterbacking. And that is that, Given the choice between throw it or don't throw it, he errs on throwing it. Even yes. when his feet aren't set, even when pressure's in his face, even when he's not 100% sure whether his guy's going to come out from his break correctly. And the funny part is, Nick, when it works, it's called amazing anticipation. But it's going to generate some horrible interceptions this year. It's going to generate some Zach Wilson-style interceptions, and I think it's hilarious. Nick, there's no way you don't know exactly what I'm talking about when the quarterbacking community contradicts itself pretty ferociously. Like, everybody loves throwing with anticipation until Baker throws five interceptions because he expected his runner or his uh, like receiver to run like a, what would you call it, a comeback route? Uh, and the guy runs a curl instead, and the ball floats to Denzel Ward or something like that. Everybody loves mm-hmm. it when it works. <laughs> so, so here I've got I've got a a crazy stat, okay? Give that me. that that speaks to this. So Jordan Love had a very good junior year. His last year of college did not go so well, and we've heard the excuses of um, new coaching staff, not a lot of good weapons around him. Which you you could you could add that in. But I'd also say he's playing at Utah State against other guys in that conference, which aren't very good. So here's the statistic. And this is because I was just curious. So his last year there, he threw 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. Right. And when I watched film, I saw what you saw. I saw him throwing. I'm just going to throw this with anticipation. I'm just going to trust all this. And it didn't work. So I was like, man, that's a really bad touchdown to interception ratio for a first round pick. And I was like, I wonder how that is historically. So I went back a long time to 1990. (laughs) And I got all of the touchdown interception ratios of first round picks. 
And I got the worst. I'm like, okay, what's the worst one, right? So I'm going to go in order from worst to best. And I only have six names here, okay? So, and, the, and some guys will know these names and some guys might not know some of these names. The worst is Tommy Maddox, 1992. Man. He had 16 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. One. Todd Marinovich, 1991. 13 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Number three, Michael Vick. Th this was shocking, man. by the way. I did not know oh, he didn't throw the ball. Michael Vick in 2001 had eight touchdown passes and six picks. What? Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, I'm like, eight? I thought eight touchdown passes. <laughs> That's it. All right. Number four on this list is Jordan Love, 2020, 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Okay. And then it's Drew Bledsoe, 1993, 20 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. And then Rex Grossman, oh, man. sexy Rexy. That's why you had to go six. 2003. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2003. Because I'm not going to be biased. 2003, 22 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. But, and we saw what Rex Grossman was in the NFL. A little bit of a gunslinger. And so that's what I think people don't realize is Jordan Love is a gunslinger. He's not going to be completely Brett Favre crazy. He's not going to be conservative Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be this middle guy, and he's going to make mistakes and throw picks. And if you don't have established weapons, which they don't have even with those guys no. there. And you have rookies. I think he's going to turn the ball over. And I mean, it, first of all, it's hilarious that you mentioned three guys from the 90s, two guys from the early 2000s, nobody from 2010. And we all we go all the way to 2020 to get to that, which is yep. wild. But getting back to it, I mean, I just think it's hilarious because there are so many people that will decry sacks, especially when you're talking about Justin Fields. They'll say he takes way too many sacks, and he does. I'm not about to sit here and justify sacks. But if Jordan Love throws one and a half picks a game, people are going to make it a much bigger problem than if Fields takes four sacks but converts back a first down on mm -hmm. two of those drives, and you end up with only two dead drives and two plays where Fields was able to come back yep. from, especially if Fields actually makes a third one go away as well. Like, Picks are currency. When you look at nearly any formula out there, they'll give touchdowns the weight of 20 yards and interceptions the weight of 45. These things swing games and literally kill drives. And mm -hmm. it's going to be a matter of whether the Bears can pressure Jordan Love. Like, the Bears aren't a blitz-heavy team. The Bears that I know want to start in a cover two high shell. They want to maybe rotate somebody down. Maybe not. They want to play a lot of cover two, Tampa two, cover six and cover three and when they can't stop the run they play cover three and some cover one and it gets ugly because the defense gets really static if you've seen yep. what i've seen and yep. kirk cousins can get jalen jones jalen jones jalen jones do i need to say it again jalen jones matched up against justin jefferson for 18 straight completions like it can get easy to play against the bears defense when the bears defense is outside of the bands of what it wants to do. But man, if they can just get a couple of those run stuffs, again, you could bleed 30 yards in the process, right? Like you could give up three first downs. But Bears fan, when you're watching this game, second and 10, game on. Second and eight, yes. game on. Like yes. it's what the Bears do when they finally get the Packers behind the chains that will completely tilt this game on defense. And, and, and with the, the play action as well, I would think 
Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards, and hopefully we've heard the best guy in camp, arguably Kyler Gordon, aren't going to be as susceptible to getting sucked up into the run game and not getting into their drops or not reading things as well as the Bears did last year. I would think that they're one, maybe two. You're talking like plus two with PFF. They might be two steps above where they were last year. So I think those passing lanes are going to be a lot smaller for Jordan Love if he does get play action. He tries it on second eight, and they're like, I don't believe you're going to run the ball. I think it depends on if the Bears are just getting killed on the ground. And I'll tell you, if there's one worry I have, it's that I don't trust Gervon Dexter and Zach Pickens yet. Now, that's okay. They're so young and so raw. Like, I thought Zach Pickens had a better preseason than people thought he would have, especially when it came to stopping the run, Nick. But he, he had a better preseason than Dexter did, in my opinion. In my opinion. I really expected Dexter. I expected Dexter's natural strength to show out a little more. And I didn't realize because college players weren't able to victimize how high he was playing. I mean, that's a learning lesson for me. That's for sure. Because he was standing up straight and out dueling uh, Darnell Wright's teammates. I figured he should be able to do that in the preseason at the very least. No, it turns out 30 year olds that need to feed their family are pretty daggum strong. with <laughs> But like, in my opinion, if the bears aren't getting, killed in the run game then yeah i mean i think tremaine edmonds when he's at his best plays like he's 10 feet long and that would be a huge issue for jordan love to throw at but i imagine he's gonna get his i don't think jordan love just sucks the way i think some bears fans want nope. him to though nope. i know there are some bears fans that want him to be just good enough for the packers to extend him and i don't know if he's gonna i don't know if the packers are just gonna let that happen either like that's a whole separate conversation, Nick, that you and I I'm in time. that camp. I would love for them to be just good enough that they don't draft a quarterback with these two first-round picks next year. Green Bay's economy relies on the Packers being good. There are economic reasons they can't take that risk that they're going to be just okay, right? <laughs> like, I, it, it's ridiculous, but Packers tourism is huge for Green Bay, Wisconsin. And if you ask me... They would probably, I just have a feeling that if they end the year and love won eight games or less, that it's just going to look too financially viable for the Packers to draft a new quarterback, reset the rookie contract, uh, because what are you going to do, extend him? You're going to pay Jordan Love, Daniel Jones money? I, as a Bears fan, would love it if they did. But, like, that's the plan. You know what I mean? So, so okay, so a couple things. I mean, we're not going to get into the Packers owners debate, but I'm just... There's so many Packers fans all over so many the US, right? And people are like, yeah, they're the best fans ever. There's fans everywhere. You had 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterbacking. And 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 we know how it is. It's not easy cheering for the Bears when they've got Henry Burris and Chris Chandler and you know it, Trevor Simeon taking a start. You know, it's not easy. L let's see what happens when it's not 30 years of this and just seeing how many fans are everywhere, because that's how it works. People are like, Oh, who do I want to cheer for? Do I want to cheer for the team that's losing or the team that's just always in the playoffs, you know? So I know the economy you're talking about, you know, the economy is going to take a hit. We're uh, not going to see these Packer fans in Texas with you down there, Robert, that often there anymore. Are enough of they them. don't have, have all one, these playoff pastor is a Packers fan. Like I'm surrounded. I'm in Dallas, Texas. There are it's Packers crazy. fans in droves here. And 
all that to say, like, that's that's a future conversation that we don't need to get into. Truly, to me, the Bears are trying to put themselves in a position to defend the pass. And I'm going to be really curious to see if the Bears are going to do anything different than just playing Tampa 2 on long downs. Because that's what they've done in the past when they really aren't scared of the run game. They'll play Tampa 2. Uh, they'll have Tremaine Edmonds run the pole. They'll have Kyler Gordon, TJ Edwards sit underneath. And they got diced up last year when they did this as it turns out running a defense from 2005 has its problems and a lot of people got good at beating these and so i do hope nick that we see a, a just a little innovation i don't know what it'll be like whether that's post snap movement whether that's heavy disguise whether that's the like insert replace mechanics that i know that a lot of teams are doing where they'll have somebody like tj edmonds blitz and then they'll have sometimes it's demarcus walker fall off and play coverage like you could do some weird stuff i don't need exotic for the sake of exotic but mm-hmm. give love a handful you know like well, don't let him see everything no, I, I I, mean, they're going to challenge him. I think, I mean, Kyler Gordon's going to be coming off the edge. I think you'll see a lot of twists, a lot of games. Um, they'll probably double mug and then they'll, they'll, they'll bail out. So Hope double so. mug is when you see both linebackers and a gaps and you're not sure if they're going to come or they're going to, they're going to bail out. I think you they'll, can. they'll play some of those games with them, especially you do that with a young quarterback. Let, you let's let's have you think a bunch. Remember the Jared Goff thing from the athletic we talked about when he, when he did the play action, he came back and it wasn't what he thought it was. He messed up. It's been too easy for Love to sit back there. It's been like a seven-on-seven session. So they're going to change a lot up. I think a lot of rotations, um, zone blitzes. There's a lot of things I think that they're going to do. And also, and I, I talked about this with the run game, but in the pass game, you don't have Mercedes Lewis there to help protect you as like no. a sixth O-lineman that's unbelievable but eligible. So that's Tucker Craft and, and Luke Musgrave aren't the same blocker. It's the Bears – I would love to see them take a small page. I'm not asking Matt Eberflus to be Spags from Kansas City, but he blitzed the snot out of Jordan Love and frustrated him. Jordan Love has worn a red jersey that's practice. He's been a practice quarterback for so long that I don't know what he looks like, Nick, when he takes a hit early. And it feels like if you can get to him, if you can ruffle his feathers, if you can make him readjust his pads, wipe some dirt off of his shoulder pads, he might just get a little bit finicky back there. And who knows? I mean, some of the tapes two years old at this point, but I think you could see evidence of it in last year's Eagles game too, let alone the preseason tape that we saw last year because they protected him so well this last year. So if the Bears can create some pressure, I think a lot of things go their way. But I mean, that's about as basic a football point as you'll ever make, right? Pressure the quarterback leads to success. Like, duh. <laughs> so so I, I was looking for the name because i forgot what it was i had watched a, a video on this i think that creeper blitzes are going to be another thing so like so zone, i mean this happened a lot with tennessee last year so so a zone blitz right is when let's say you bring tj edwards off the weak side and then you you have walker bail out on the other side dn right so you have four guys coming kind of from one side and, and another guy bailing out creeper blitzes are when they're going to add a fifth rusher and you don't know which guy is bailing out. Now, right. the whole purpose behind this, the premise, is if that guy takes a step forward, that offensive alignment almost has to engage or reach towards that guy. And now he can't help. He can't slide. He can't shift for a twist. Right. And so Tennessee did this a ton last year. Who was there? Demarcus Walker. And 
they didn't have crazy talent outside of Jeffrey Simmons. Right. And so I think that could be the next evolution this year in terms of defenses with their build, bringing pressure and you can't predict who it is. Cause a lot of times this is a, this is a big tell, by the way, if, you, if people are watching, like how can I tell people are going to blitz? If you see another defender again, like a, like a DB behind a linebacker or behind a nickel corner. Yeah. He's there. Cause he's taking the guy that he's supposed to guard. And the other guy's going to come forward. So if they're stacked, that guy's going to come, but these creeper blitzes are really less predictable. So right. Chicago has to do stuff to generate a pass. Rush. Something there, yep. there are going to be games probably like next weekend where you could play somewhat stagnant coverages and wait for Baker Mayfield to make a mistake. Yes. But Jordan love force a mistake because yes. the mistakes may cost more than the plays that you give up on the other side. But mm -hmm. Nick, we are quickly bordering on long enough talking about the game in general we've got to predict an outcome. Do you want to do keys to the game or do you feel like we've kind of talked about keys to the game and we just got to get to the predicting the score part? I, I got I got a couple of keys to the game. I'll just make it quick, okay? Do it. Chicago, to win this game, has to start out hot. Check because, mark. Agreed. Because, yeah, if, if, they, if, they, if they get behind and Green Bay can run the ball and they have to just pass and Green Bay can just pass rush on them, it's not going to be a great outcomes. They still could win, not great outcomes. If they start out hot, it's a completely different game. Um, the other thing, key to the game, this is going to sound dumb, the hits philosophy, right? <laughs> the things that you can control, hustle, intensity, take the ball, and being smart. Like if they don't commit penalties, right? If they're positive in the turnover ratio, we know all that stuff. But if you do those things, I think that they could do really well. And the last one is a little outside of the box, but I think second and third level offensive blocking. Think of what we saw in big plays, Mooney blocking down the field, these linemen hustling on screens down the field, because I'm not worried, maybe I should be, about the first level blocking because they're not good at stopping the run. But if we can get those second and third level blocks, that's what took Justin Fields' QB zone read run, made Knicks and miss, Pringle got Amos and boom, touchdown. So that's what's going to take things from 10-yard gains to touchdowns. So I think those are three big keys. Do you have any you want to touch on? Yes, I do. So first one is a platitude, straight up. I'm not normally a platitude guy, but I need Justin Fields to be bigger than the moment. In particular, I need him to start settled. You started to talk hot. Justin Fields is going to get an opportunity on play action to hit a slant or an, a dig route. Like, Nick, I'm not talking about a 40-yard deep shot, and we got to hit it. Like, that first pass, probably the first four passes, we're looking at three completions, right? Like, basic stuff, but you got to show Green Bay, e even if it's all smoke and mirrors, you got to show Green Bay that we are a dual-threat offense so that you can keep Joe Barry in these fluffy two to four high cover two quarters cover six looks that are going to allow us to run offense the way that we want to run it on defense you said hits steal downs back don't let the packers dictate what the flow of the game is going to be take something away whether you're overloading one side to take or to try to stop a run in that direction and force something up the weak side whether you're blitzing even if you're not blitzing there are ways to disguise your coverage roles so that you can change the picture from when jordan love looks at a too high and then he goes offers the ball turns his back uh offers the ball to aj Dillon, turns his back to the defense he turns back around i don't know where number four is anymore 
which would be a dangerous thought if I was a quarterback. It's if like, he's playing poach, you know, I, he's playing yeah. robber, let's go. You sit there and you're like, how did I lose him? I have no idea where he is. And, mm-hmm. and you have to find him really fast. Like change, do something, take downs away. You can give the Packers six downs on offense if you can get the seventh back. And once yep. you put them behind schedule, I don't think this offense is built right now. They're so young, Nick. If the Bears were playing the Packers in week 11, I would be more nervous, but we're not. We're playing them fresh out of college, almost literally. And so this is as good a chance as you're going to get. And I guess key number three, reverse the curse. Screw it. I'll scrap what I had. Like it's, it's been bad as a fan. And I understand that we're, semi-professional analysts here you know with our fake tie and demeanor and keeping things civil and whatnot but like you have to win this game like to me from a there are points nick where narratives and x's and o's intersect there are heisman moments right there are defensive player of the year moments these easily marketable point to it and say that's the guy and i don't think that there is a better chance for somebody to get crowned the franchise quarterback of the Chicago Bears than banishing the Packers and starting the new like the new quarterback era on the right foot. I guess this ties into be bigger than the moment, but like you're at Soldier Field, you might be playing them down upwards of five guys. You have all of the advantages, but we as Bears fans have suffered losses to Brett Hundley before. Like oh where he started and finished the game and we gave up 29 points to Brett Hundley. Like it's Packers advantages. My entire life have simply become shinier jewels in the Packers crown of we beat the bears and we didn't even have a starting offensive line. Like Mm -hmm. we've lived these games. You have to win this one. You have to win this one. Like (laughs) throw it out. One other thing that might keep people at ease. One last fact before I think we go into our predictions. The Packers have not been doing well in week one lately. Last year at Minnesota, they lost 23-7. to Year before at New Orleans, they lost 38-3. to That was the Jameis Winston game. He went crazy. He went off. I remember um, that. Before that, I mean, they beat Minnesota at Minnesota 43 to 34. And then before that, they beat Chicago only 10 to three. And that's, that was a bad, that was like after it was over 2019, you know, it was a kind of a bad year. Um, that's the year, year I don't want to have again. To right. me, losing this Packers game starts 2019 again. Just right. but, but last year, Robert, Eberflus's first game, they beat the 49ers at home. And so they're home this year. They started out well against a good team and the Packers have not been starting out well. And I just think it's going to be in the bears favor. So now I'll go with my, I'll go with my prediction first. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the Packers are young. We talked about this. They're more injured. And honestly, I think that we're the better team. So I have Chicago winning 24 to 14 and reversing the curse. So first of all, Matty Refluce totally beat a huge and phenomenal San Fran team with the help of Mother Earth. Like, I want to give Matty Refluce all of the 
like praise that he deserves because I do think there's plenty of praise that some people aren't willing to give him. Bears started that game with 88 yards in the first half. You could have written the headline, Bears get pounded, destroyed, and grounded to dust in 19-10 to win, and it would have been accurate because the Bears were, it was like watching Rocky. You know what I mean? Like the the better team kept throwing haymakers, but they couldn't get in the end zone. Yep. I, I'm excited for this game. I'm going to, in my prediction, assume that Watson and Dobbs are playing simply because I think if they aren't, the deck is stacked. It feels really trendy towards either a Bears win or real heartbreak. <laughs> real horrible heartbreak. Oh. It, it'd be like the team T- Tim Tebow game heartbreak. Remember that one? Yes. Yes, that was so bad. Uh, And and it'd be such a quick and I don't want to say definitive. We said at the start of the show, it wouldn't be definitive, but it would get us real close to an answer on whether we need to be watching 2024 quarterbacks. But assuming that Watson and Dobbs play, everybody has this game build Nick as a sloppy defensive duel. I see it as a shootout. Like, I think both defenses are undergeared to stop the offense across from them. And I think that this could go as high as 31-30, but it'll probably settle around 27-24. And I do think Chicago comes out on top. Uh, That is an emotion-fueled take, to be honest with you. Like, I see this game, Nick, as a toss-up, if those two are healthy, which maybe they will be, maybe they won't be. Even if without them healthy, I'll probably still see it as a toss-up because it's the Packers. But for me, if the Bears were... So we said this pre-show. I'll say it one more time. It's worth the extra couple minutes. The Packers and the Buccaneers are shockingly similar teams when you look at what they are. Like really strong offensive linemen, Bakhtiari, Werfs. A team that's going to be dominated by its defense, like the current Packers talent and what they've got going on with Joe Barry. And then an aging but still good Tampa Bay defense that's got guys like Anton Winfield, Jamal Dean. It's not exactly the same, but you get the vibe. Struggling quarterback that is leading an offense with some decent receiver talent, if even good. Like, oh yeah, the parallels don't have to be that thick, but they're... They're thick enough for me to competently say to you, Nick, I would be a lot more level-headed if the Bears were opening the season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because there's just not as much emotion. There's a lot of emotion. There's too much emotion within this game against the Packers. So I I really, I hate to be this guy. I promise I'm not going to be like the guy who injects what he wants to happen into every single, or every single prediction. But the Bears kind of have to start this one with a win. They could lose three games after this, and the season will still be intact. But they kind of have to start this one with a win. Do you feel – I feel a little bit of comfort in this. So we talked about how young they are, right? Yes. They have a rookie punter and a rookie kicker who's been struggling, and the rookie punter is holding that. Like, I can't help but, like, even if it's a close game, it comes down to a field goal, like, they're going to mess it up. Like, two rookies, their first game on the road in Soldier Field? But I hope you're knocking on wood because, Nick, we've done this before. In 2019, the Bears had all the advantages, and then we scored three points. Like, it's this isn't me. This is me speaking from all of the scars of being a Bears fan and saying, man, truly, the rookie punter hits a 68 yard spinner that Valus muffs. Like, that's (laughs) that's been our life. Like, we could sit here and say, hey, Hey, all the data 
says that this should be in the bear's favor. And then, surprise, it isn't. And actually, it's the opposite. Like, the, the Packers are the R-E-L-A-X fan base. And it's as if the bears are the, like, W-O-R-R-Y, like, fan base to where things just work the exact opposite. And they just need to not. I think the bears should win. The bears are favored for a reason. They're at home. I think Justin Fields is going to combine for like a stout 260 yards and probably two or three touchdowns, and I hope no interceptions. Um, That would be awfully neat. I think Justin Fields is going to light some people on fire because it wouldn't surprise me, Nick, if he's going to throw for at best 220 yards, and I hope he proves me wrong. Serve me all of the crow in the world. Trust me, mm-hmm. I'm cheering for it too. Because in that 220-yard scenario, he probably runs for another 65 yards on top of that. And people like you and me have to say, that's a great game. 285 yeah. combined yards, three scores? What are we complaining about? And then somebody goes, well, if you take the rushing away. And we go, Dadgum it! Yeah, <laughs> Stop it! Who, how, about, how about this? Here's a fun little thing we can come back to. Who's going to score the first touchdown of the year for the Bears? Mm-hmm. Do you have a guess? Oh, I already got my guy, but it's a little underrated. Uh, realistically, I think I think it's probably going to be Fields. Just being honest with you, like I could completely see the Bears walking down, get within the five, calling quarterback power sweep right and or left, so that they can get Braxton out in space and just ramrodding their way into the end zone so that they could right. get fields dropping the ball behind him poking his or like holding his hands up into a soldier field crowd and getting everybody just going bananas on america's game of the week that makes too much sense to me it's boring right but it makes too much sense to me who do you have it does. chase claypool there it is there it is you realize i mean have, have you me- seen his uh yardage prop by the way no so i'm not like a super gambly man um especially since most of it's not legal in Texas. Chase Claypool over under 15 and a half yards in week one's game. What? 15 and a half. That's an half. easy over. Did they not watch him in training camp? Well, they don't have DJ Moore as uh, over under more than 48 and a half. So it's obviously a slight on the Bears passing attack. But people don't believe in fields. That's the thing. It's like, it's like Ohio State didn't happen and he literally doesn't know how to pass. Like Packer fans will say that. And he went 20 of 25 in the second game for 200 some yards. And the two picks were late. Obviously the one St. Brown didn't like, like, yep. Can't pass 20 of 25. I mean, that was in the two picks late. So really 20 of 23. He's fields has to be the first quarterback I have ever watched where garbage time actively hurts his box score. Like consistently. I mean, he threw nearly half of his interceptions last year in straight up garbage time. Like, and and it's so goofy because, like, I don't expect anybody to talk about that either. You know what I'm saying? But, like, yeah, well, the the, the, the Aiden Hutchinson before the half, who cares? Like, (laughs) I don't even care. (laughs) But But what a bad pick. You're expecting him to be right by their sideline and standing still. Like a defensive end (laughs) blending in at their sidelines. And and who cares? Yeah, of course it looks bad on TV. Like, is it acceptable? No. But also, it doesn't matter. Because you're throwing a Hail Mary anyways. Point is, point is, that uh, like you're talking about, I mean, there's no faith in this Bears offense. I think it's going to shock people. I really do. Because it's surprisingly well put together given how bad the talent was last year. Justin Fields is accustomed at the very least to playing with an offensive line like this one. And for better or for worse, I mean, Nick, 
we got to be unafraid to say this will go as far as the quarterback takes it. And mm-hmm. DJ Moore will help. Like, and, you got some players that will help you, but right. it'll go as far as the quarterback takes it. There's one other thing here that there's an advantage in this game that is almost shocking to say as a Bears fan. Chicago has depth. Green Bay really doesn't. Offensive line, they have depth. They have a good, obviously, backup running back. Um, edge, they have depth. But, man, their, their D-line does not have a lot of depth. Linebackers, not a lot. Safety is already bad. Receiver, we're already there. It's like alert, right? Behind love is Sean Clifford. Like, the, tight end is another rookie. Like, they're super thin. And that's what happens when you have all this dead cap money, which we had last year. So that's the other part of this thing, too, is like injuries are going to happen. You know, we hope they don't. But, like, if one or two injuries happen on both teams, the Bears have better depth, which is shocking to say. I hope nobody just like walks out and gets hurt. Like I'm with you, but that sounds like a week 18 conversation. More so. Right. Than, uh, right. But he, but things happen all the time. No, so they do. They do. But either way, this has been our way too long bears preview. Nick, do you want to take a guess <laughs> at how long we've been talking? Uh, one hour, 37 minutes. Yeah. About, is that because you've got a stopwatch? Because... No, no. I totally guessed. <laughs> I mean, what that's, is it? that's right about on, I don't, I don't have the exact time because we, rolled it for a little while but bears fans thank you so much for listening um we will try to be more efficient as we just keep going getting in a groove of things but man nick i love the conversations that we're having so please give us a review whether you're listening on apple podcasts on spotify if you're on youtube do give us a like let us know what you're enjoying what you want to see change or improve and gosh i mean nick i'm so excited for this game and bears fans we will be back post game gonna figure out whether that's gonna look like a um gonna look like a live stream gonna look like a pre-recorded thing i don't know but we'll figure it out um but post game we're gonna be here to talk about it so do give nick a follow on twitter give me a follow on twitter uh thank you so much for supporting and listening and until next time bear down and thank you so much for bearing with us 